You know, I want to share with you today, and I want to talk about uh, the covenant of promise. We have a covenant with Almighty God. He has promised, and the covenant that we're in right now, we're in the covenant of grace. And under this covenant that we're living in, uh, we no longer have to struggle to be successful. Uh, because through the promises that he's given us, he's promised us all things that are, that are needful, that are necessary for us to be successful in life. But you know, it's, a, it's an interesting thing about success. Any place that you have success in your life, there's probably going to be some principles that you're going to have to put into play or put into motion in your life. And one of the things that we see in the scriptures is that God has given us laws, principles, whatever you want to call them. And when we apply those laws, those principles correctly and consistently, we experience and we see God's goodness in our life. You know, right down, you know, this, this time of the year for sports folk, um, it's, a, it's a great time of the year because of the activities that are going on. You know, they just finished up the girls' basketball tournament the week before. Um, two weeks before, I guess it was, was the boys' wrestling. And uh, Clint was able to make it down there, and praise the Lord, what an honor to make it to state. And, uh, you know, we have the men's and women's basketball tournament coming up college-wise. We have, you know, the NCAA wrestling coming up, and, and that which everybody cares about. Uh, we have the Big Ten hockey championship coming up along with the NCAA championship in hockey, you know, those important sports that really count. Moving right along. But this is the thing that I want you to see is in every one of those sports, the individuals that participate in that sport, they have to apply, they have to practice certain principles in their life. And they have to do it responsibly on a continual basis, or they'll never experience their skill, that sport, uh, to its greatest extent. They, it, it, it's, just, it's just how it is. I was watching a little bit of a soccer game yesterday when Manchester was playing, and they had a free kick. And the goalie, when, when the ball's being kicked, he, he took off and he went to his right, and the, the guy that was kicking the free kick kicked it right down the middle. And so he is, he's in midair, uh, going to his right, and he kicks his left leg up, and he kicks the ball. While he's in midair, flying to the right, he went back to his left with his, with his left foot, and he kicked the ball, and they didn't get the score. Now, <clears throat> I don't know because I've never done that. In fact, I've never stretched myself out that way. That looks way too painful. You understand what I'm saying? But this guy was able to do that and he kicked the ball and he saved the goal. Well, why was it that he was able to do that? It wasn't because that was the first time they had tried to do something like that. He had done it repeatedly. Repeatedly. Naomi, when she does her her recital with the piano. That isn't the first time she sat down at the piano. If she is, her mom and dad are going to be really ticked off at her. <laughs> but she had practiced that. She had worked on that. And you know, the thing that I want us to see is the things of the kingdom of God. They are promised to us. But there is some discipline that we must achieve in our life if we're going to succeed to the extent that God wants us to, to succeed and what we want to succeed. It isn't an occasional thing. An athlete doesn't just occasionally 
work at his sport if he wants to be good. He does it, or she does it, on a regular basis. Somebody that has a gifting or a talent in some area, they work at it because they want to achieve a goal. There's something that they want to achieve in their life. I remember hearing the story about this individual. He was a uh, worldwide famous for his playing of the violin. And one of the news people were interviewing him and they said to him, it must be nice that you've re-arrived to such a place in your life, in your career, that you don't have to spend all your time practicing, that, you're, that you've achieved such a talent. You've achieved to the point that you can just basically show up and play. And the individual looked at the reporter and says, you don't have a clue. He said, if I don't practice one day, I know it. If I don't practice three days, all the, what do you call them? The experts, the whatever they are, they know it. He said, if I don't practice a week, the whole world knows it. And basically what he is saying is, yes, I had to work hard to get to this point in my life. But you know what? If I want to keep what I have in my life, I've got to make the decision that I'm going to continue to put forth the effort. You know what? One of my, my greatest fears in life is as a pastor is individuals that get excited about the things of God. They get enthusiastic about it. But then they put it on the back shelf. You know, the Bible says that we have to stir up the giftings that are within us. And you know, <clears throat> I would venture to guess because I'm guessing because I've never applied myself this way. But I would assume that an athlete or an individual that plays an instrument with perfection doesn't every day want to get up and practice. I'm certain there are days that they want to just say, I'm just going to take it easy today. Nobody's going to ever know the difference. The problem with it is, is when we do that one day, the second day is easier to put it down. The third day is easier to put it down. And so my concern is always with people that get excited about the things of God. And then for whatever reason, they think that they've arrived. I've got a big surprise for you. We're never going to arrive until we see Jesus face to face. And so we need to continually grow in the things of God. Now, like I was saying at the beginning, there's some physical laws that have been put into practice. And the thing about it is, is that the spiritual laws override the physical laws. And if we want to have success, we begin to apply these spiritual laws and we will begin to see the success in the natural realm. In Titus, in the book of Titus, chapter 2, verse 11, it says, For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. The grace of God, that which is going to bring success in our life, it's appeared to all men. It's available to every man. But you know what? There are those that will not choose to receive it. There are, not th there are those that will choose not to continue in it because of whatever reason. It's too difficult, whatever it might be. But we have to make that quality decision, that decision in our life, that we're not going to allow anything to hinder us, to stop us. You know, <clears throat> the Bible says that we have three enemies that come against us. The world, the flesh, and the devil. Jesus defeated the devil. 
Can I hear an amen? amen? Aren't you glad? I know I am. The Bible says this is the victory that overcomes the world, even our faith. And so the world is overcome as we walk in faith. But then we have the flesh. I don't know about you, but my biggest problem is me. It's not this beautiful young woman sitting on the front row. It's not y'all, it's me. If I can handle me, my world is a whole lot better. But the problem is, I have to deal with me every day. That ought to give you some incentive to pray for me. I've got to deal with me every day. Because there's those days I don't want to do what I need to do, what I am supposed to do. And I would venture to guess that every one of us in this room, we go through that same thing. And that's where that determination comes in. That's where that persistence comes in. That no matter what, I'm going to make the right choices because every day, every day, we have to make those choices. Am I going to do what I need to do? Or am I going to just simply do what I can get by with? And so if we want to live the victorious life, we've got to make those decisions. There are spiritual laws in place that govern every aspect of our lives. They're spiritual laws. But you know, the, the interesting thing about a spiritual law is even that, though I may not be aware of it, it's still working. We see this in the natural. If you think you're so sure-footed and you can walk across ice with no consequences and you hit that ice and you've got on shoes like I do and next thing you know, your, head's, your feet are over your head and you're hitting the ice. You know what that was? That was a law that went into motion. It's known as the law of gravity. And you can say, I don't believe in that law, but let me tell you something. It's going to work. It's going to operate in your life. And we have the same thing in the spiritual realm. There are laws which are to, to override and compensate for these physical laws that are out there. And we may not be aware of them, but you know what? Those laws are going to operate in our life whether we realize it or not. There's a, there's a principle, a law, and we've talked about this much, that talks about the words that come out of our mouth. It tells us in Mark, the 11th chapter, the 23rd verse, and you're all familiar with this passage. For assuredly I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be removed and cast into the sea and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that those things he says will be done, he'll have whatever he says. How many of you like that verse? Two of you. <clears throat> I like that verse. Because that verse says that I can have what I say. I can, I can speak to the mountain in my life, and that mountain, whatever it may be, difficulty, problems, issues, it's got to get out of the way. It's got to move. So that's a principle in the Word of God. But <clears throat> there's also another scripture. I don't like this one as much. It's in Proverbs. It's Proverbs 18, 21. And it says, death and life are in the power of the tongue. And those who love it will eat its fruit. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. And this isn't just talking about physical death. This is talking about circumstances in our life. Relationships have died because of words that were spoken. Business deals have been lost because of words that were spoken. 
Reputations have been lost because of words that were spoken. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. And so what this is telling us is what are we producing with the words that come out of our mouth? We may say it doesn't matter. Well, it may not matter to you, but it matters with everything that's going on around you. Now, the exciting thing about it is we can, we can change. You know, if we don't like where we are today, we need to change what we said yesterday. We need to change our behavior from yesterday. We need to change it. And that, the way that we do that is becoming by becoming aware of it. And it requires a decision. I'm not going to allow those words to come out of my mouth anymore. I'm going to allow words that build up and edify. Those are the words that are going to come out of my mouth. There's life and death in the power of the tongue. Most of you have heard how I've shared this, how when Jeff was little, he would, he would do some of the most interesting things. And then I'd say, Jeff, why? Jeff, that was so dumb. Why did you do that? And then one day it hit me. And this was after I was saved and he had done something. And before I had an opportunity to say anything, he looked up at me and he says, Daddy, I'm just so dumb, aren't I? And I realized the words that were coming out of my mouth, it was producing something in him. And I made a determination that those words weren't going to come out of my mouth any longer. And that's not to say I was perfect at it. But I worked at it. You know, and obviously he came out okay. Amen. But there's, there's power in the tongue. There's power in the words that we say. And so we need, to, we need to guard that. And the thing I want you to understand, it's a law, it's a principle that we have in the Word of God. And that it works. Whether we think it works or not, it works. Whether we believe it works or not, it works. You know, these laws and principles aren't determined whether you believe it or not. It works. You know, I'm always amazed with Deuteronomy where it says, I set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. Choose life. And I think... <clears throat> God's, something, God, God's got something figured out about us. We're not really very good at figuring out what's best for us. Now you would think you'd said, I set before you life and death. You'd think it'd be obvious. Blessing and cursing. You'd think it'd be obvious. But he didn't want to take any chances. He gave us the answer. Choose life. And this is what I'm saying today. Choose life. There's life and death in the power of the tongue and the words that come out of our mouth. Let's choose life. And we, where we haven't spoken words of life, let's make a decision today. From this day forward, I'm going to begin to choose life. I'm going to begin to choose blessing. But you know, there's there's other spiritual laws that have been placed into motion. In Matthew, the seventh chapter, the first and the second verse, it talks about judging others. Judge not that you be not judged. For with what, for with what judgment you judge, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it'll be measured back to you. You know, <clears throat> I like to extend people a lot of grace. 
And there's a reason for that. <laughs> I've won a lot of grace. I need a lot of grace. And so if I, the Bible, if I believe the Bible is true, it says that if I have a judgmental attitude and I go around judging everybody by the measure or by the way that I judge others, that same judgment's going to come back to me. Now that's not sticking my head in the sand and not recognizing wrong when wrong is there. But you know, there's a difference between recognizing wrong and being judgmental about it. And so he says, we need to guard ourselves because the way that we judge, that same judgment is going to come back upon ourselves. And like I said, I, I need a lot of mercy. I need a lot of grace in my life. And so if I want that in my life, that means that I need to be willing to extend it. I need to be in a place where I'm not judging others. And again, like I said, I'm not saying that we don't recognize wrong because we need to. But there's a difference between recognizing something that's wrong, something that's not according to the Word of God, and being judgmental about it. And you know how that judgmentalness usually comes out? Comes out in words. We begin to talk about it. We, we don't talk about it, we talk about the individual. That's where judgmentalism begins to come in. But then, <clears throat> There's another principle, there's another law that comes into play. And this is a point that I want you to see. There's a lot of spiritual laws that we have, and are we applying them? Do we recognize them as a true principle that we need to operate in our lives? In Luke, the sixth chapter, the 38th verse, it says, give and it will be given unto you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over will be put into your bosom. For with the same measure that you use, it will be measured back to you. The same measure that we use, it'll be measured back to us. And so here's a spiritual principle. If we want increase in our life, that means we, we operate what the Word of God says we give. Give and it shall be given unto you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, shall men give unto your bosom. And with the measure you use, it'll be measured back to you. And so once again, we determine. We determine what we, we give. And you know, in life, we really only have three areas that we're able to give. Dr. Cole was the first one that I heard talk about this. But he says each one of us, we have the opportunity to give in three different areas. Our time, our talent, and our treasury. And he says, by whatever measure we measure out, that's what we're going to receive. And so if we give little, we're going to receive little. You know, if we don't ever give a smile, we're probably not going to get a lot of smiles back. If we talk ugly to people, people are going to talk ugly to us. But on the other hand, if we're kind to people, people are going to be kind to us. Well, Pastor, I thought it says giving is talking about money. It's talking about every area of our life. You know, <clears throat> there's a lot of people that have a lot of money but they're poverty-ridden. It was Kenneth Copeland who once said, he said, the lowest form of prosperity that you'll ever find is financial prosperity. The reason for that is money can get you the things that you think will make you happy, but money can't make you happy. And so it's all those other things that come into play. 
Give and it shall be given unto you. Good measure. Talking about every area of our life. How do we give? So spiritual laws can work for or against us. Spiritual laws can work for us or they can work against us. You know, we used to use Malachi all the time for offerings, and I believe in, in Malachi that uh, we, we need to give our tithes and offerings, but at one point in Malachi it talks about the curse. Well, <clears throat> I'm redeemed from the curse. There's another good opportunity for an amen. I'm redeemed from the curse. And so whether I, I give or not, doesn't determine whether I'm redeemed from the curse. I am redeemed from the curse. The problem is, is if I don't apply the principles in God's word, I'm not going to experience the blessing and the abundance that goes along with it. You know, <clears throat> I've heard this from people. I, I don't know why people are this foolish. And they say, you know, it really doesn't matter what I do anymore because I'm under grace. Well, you are under grace. But you know what? It matters what we do because of the principles that God has established in his word. God doesn't want us in a just getting by mode. God wants us to be blessed above and beyond. Why? So that we can be a blessing to one another. I don't know if you've noticed this or not. I can't be a blessing unless I'm blessed. I can't give what I don't have. If I do that, I'm a thief. And so in order to be a blessing to somebody else, I need to be blessed in my life. And God wants to bring blessing into each of our lives. Notice what it says in Romans 8.2. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. Sin and death no longer dominates, it no longer rules in our lives. We are free from that. But it's the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus that sets me free from that. Or that has set me free from that. And the thing that I've noticed in my life is the more that I'm aware of what Jesus has done for me, the less opportunity there is for the evil one to bring death and destruction into my life. And the number one reason for that is because of the choices that I begin to make in my life. Because if I'm living yielded to the life of the Spirit in Christ Jesus, that's the voice that I'm going to be listening to. You know, this evening we're going to be up in Fort Dodge at the prison there and we're going to be doing a, a graduation for Celebrate Recovery. And I don't know how many guys will be in the graduating class this year but, or this session, but there'll be Several. But you know, <clears throat> I'll speak to those guys and what they've heard all through the time that they've gone through Celebrate Recovery to be free from drugs and alcohol and other addictions. The point of it is that if they want to walk free, even though they are free in Christ Jesus, it's dependent upon the choices that they make. Well, if I'm really free, why do I have to make choices? The concept of freedom is that you now have the ability, you now can make choices for yourself. You know what Jesus Christ did for you on that cross? He didn't make you receive him as Lord and Savior. But he placed you in a position that now you can choose to receive him. You don't have to live a life of prosperity. But because of the life that you have now in Christ Jesus, you can now choose to. 
Never forget Kenneth Copeland after one of his meetings. An individual walked up to him and they said, you know, Copeland, I don't believe that prosperity stuff that you preach. And Copeland looked at him and says, well, I guess that's your problem, isn't it? The guy thought about it for a moment and he started to chuckle and he says, I guess it is. You know, what do you, what do you believe? The choices are you, yours. What are you going to believe? You have to choose to believe. Nobody can make you believe. You have to choose to believe. But how do I get to that place to where I make the right choices? By information. By receiving the word of God and recognizing what Jesus has truly done for each and every one of us. In 2 Peter, the first verse, and the third verse, or the second, first chapter and third verse, it says, as his divine power, his, amen? As his divine power, well, let me start in verse two. Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. Grace and peace, we could say it this way, grace and peace is multiplied to you according to the knowledge of God that you've received in your life. Without the knowledge of God, without the recognition of what he's done for you and me, there's no increase of his grace and peace in our lives. Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord as his, Jesus's, as his divine power has given us all things that pertain to life and godliness. So it says that he's given us everything that we need for life and godliness. It's ours. That means we have something to be happy about. Well, pastor, I'm happy. Well, so tell your face. <laughs> Amen. We have something to be happy about because he has given us everything that is necessary for life and godliness through the knowledge of him. It's been given to us but how do we appropriate it into our life? Through the knowledge of him. Through knowing who Jesus is. I went to church all my life. Grew up sitting in the front row because my mom played the organ. And the organ was up front in that old country church. And she didn't trust me in the back. I don't know why. So here I sat every Sunday in the front row because my dad was an at church. And so there I sat in the front row, week after week, year after year, hearing about God, hearing about Jesus, but never coming to the place that I had the knowledge of who Jesus really was. So it wasn't until I was 24 years old, even though I'd gone to church, I didn't know Jesus as my personal Lord and Savior because it was just stuff that we had to endure. <laughs> I read Pat, Pat Boone's book. I forget the title of it now, but it was his testimony. And it is talking about how he is sitting in the front row of church, this little church that he went to, I won't name the denomination. And he, he said, I'm sitting there in the front row. And he said, all of a sudden, it, the pastor's preaching on heaven. 
He says, I'm thinking a hundred years, a thousand years, 10,000 years of church. Because he said the only thing he could identify with God was that church service. And I can identify with that because I remember sitting in that front row looking back at all the old folk thinking, yeah, when I get old with like them. Just think of our young kids out back getting a hold of it. Now, they're not just receiving information about Jesus. They're coming to a realization of who Jesus Christ truly is so that they can walk in the fullness of it. As his divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us by glory and virtue by which has been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises that through these, through these great, exceedingly great and precious promises, that through these you might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in this world through lust. We've escaped. We've escaped. Why do we keep running back into the cell? Why do we keep running back into the muck and the mire? We've been set free. You know, the Bible says in the last time, days that, and it's, it's compared to us when we receive the truth of the gospel and we go back to the muck and the mire and the filth of the world. And he compares it to the the sow that goes back to the mud and the dog that returns to its vomit. And what he's talking about is us, once we've experienced the wonderful goodness of God, and rather than moving on into the more wonderful things of God, we go back. Why do we go, why do we, why do we go back? Because of the deceitfulness, the deceitfulness of riches, because of the desires of other things. Because it just gets too difficult. But you know what? In this world that we live in, and that's why I brought up the athletes to begin with, if we're to achieve something, there's dedication, there's a commitment that goes along with that. And that's the type of dedication, that's the type of commitment that we need concerning our Lord Jesus Christ. I'm not talking about going to heaven. If you've received him as your Lord and Savior, you're going to heaven. Unless you just totally choose to reject him. And I look around this room and you're all too smart for that. But I'm talking about experiencing the abundance that he's made available for each and every one of us if we will but choose him. And if we will but put him in that proper place in our lives. We must be careful not to think that our own thoughts and opinions are the ultimate truth. Oh, you hear, you watch the news and you hear everybody's opinion of truth. But there's ultimately one truth. That truth is the Word of God. Romans 3, 4 says, Indeed, let God be true, but every man a liar, as it is written, that you may be justified in your words and may overcome when you are judged. You know what? <clears throat> People can judge us doesn't matter. You know, it doesn't matter what people think. 
What matters is, am I living the life? Am I fulfilling the call and the purpose that God has placed on my life? Because every one of us, when I'm talking about call and purpose, I'm not call, talking about being called to be a preacher. Because every one of us is a preacher, by the way. But every one of us in this room, there's a call, there's a purpose that God has for each one of us. Every one of us in this room, God's called us to do something that nobody else can do. You have a call. You have a purpose. And you need to be determined that I'm going to fulfill that call. I'm going to fulfill that purpose. I use this passage quite often. It comes from Joshua. And so somewhat you're familiar with it. But it's Joshua 1.8. And it says... This book of the law, and it's talking about the Bible. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate in it. You shall think about it day and night. Why? That you may observe to do according to what was written in it. We don't, we don't read the Word of God. We don't think on the Word of God. We don't meditate on the Word of God just so that we can show everybody how much we know or that we can appear to be spiritual. We do it for a specific purpose. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate in it day and night that you may observe to do according to what is written therein. We meditate it, we reread the Word, we spend time with the Word. Why? So that we can do it. James says, faith without works, faith without corresponding action is dead. James says that we're to be doers of the Word and not hearers only. And so we're to act upon what the Word of God says. That we might do what is written therein. For then you... You and you and you, each and every one of us. For then you will make your way prosperous. And then you will have good success. God wants us to have good success. He wants us to prosper. And he wants us to prosper in every area of our life. Physically, emotionally, financially, spiritually, social, every area of our life. He wants us to prosper. And he says that when we meditate in the Word of God day and night so that we can do what is written therein, doing that will make our way prosperous and we will have good success. I want to have good success. Not bad success. I want to have Good success. In Ephesians 2, 11 and 12, it says, Therefore, remember that you, once Gentiles, we're in that old state. Remember that you, once Gentiles in the flesh, who are called uncircumcision by that which is called circumcision, made in the flesh by hands, that at, the, at that time you are without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenant of promise, having no hope and without God in this world. That's where we were. That's where this world is. It's without hope. Because there's only one place that we can find hope. And that's in our Lord Jesus Christ. We were there. But we're not there any longer. Because of what Jesus has done for us. You see, we need to be covenant-minded from the standpoint that we recognize what Jesus did for us. It's already done. It's already accomplished. And all I need to do is get into agreement with him. But oftentimes what happens is the circumstances in our life, our head... It argues with that. It tells us that that can't possibly be. And so we line up with the world 
rather than the things of God. Romans 4.18, it says, Who contrary to hope, in hope believed, it's talking about Abraham, so that he became the father of many nations. According to what was spoken, so shall your descendants be. Now listen to this in the 19th verse. And not being weak in faith, he did not consider his own body. He did not consider the circumstances around him since he is about 100 years old and the deadness of Sarah's womb. He did not consider the circumstances. He considered the promise. That's what the covenant is. It's our promise. And when things look impossible, we stop considering the circumstances and we look to the promise. Now again, don't misunderstand me. I'm not saying that we stick our head in the sand and we don't acknowledge what's going on around us. But we don't allow that to be dominant. We don't allow that to control our life. We look at the promise and say, this may be the circumstance, but this is what the Word of God says. And I choose the Word over the circumstances around about us. You know, for so many today in the world, there's so many, so many things to be concerned and worried about. But we're told in 1 Peter 5, 7, he says, casting all your cares on him, talking about Jesus, for he cares for you. But you know, it's an interesting thing. It's going to be very difficult to cast your cares on him until you know that he cares for you. The way that we come to the place that we know that he cares for us is we look at the many examples that we've been given in the scriptures of how, how God cares for us. The promises that he's given us in the scriptures as to how he cares for us. That he says he'll supply every one of our needs according to his riches. That Jesus, while we were yet sinners, died for us paid the ultimate price so that we might have life and that we might have it more abundantly. If you're reading through the Bible as I am, this morning one of the scripture passages that you would have read was in Romans. It says all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. There isn't a single one of us that has been perfect. All of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And so, none of our standing in Christ Jesus is based upon my holiness, our holiness, us demonstrating the glory of God. It's all about Jesus and what he's done for us and that knowledge of Jesus doesn't just simply save us so that we can go to heaven. It's continually working in our lives so that we can continue to have success and that that success can grow. That's his will. That's his desire for each and every one of us. But you know, we have to be convinced of it. You know, often say, you know, people say, well, you know, you preachers, you just come around and you just, you just try to shove that Bible down our throats. I wish I could. Because if I could, I'd have a prayer line and I'd be stuffing. But it doesn't work that way. Because God 
isn't a dictator. God has given each and every one of us a free will to choose. Choose today. Who will you serve? And I'm not talking about today. Tomorrow you choose. The following day you choose. The day after that and the week after that and the month after that and the year after that. What do we do? We choose Jesus. When we choose him, we choose a life of victory, a life of success. That doesn't mean stuff doesn't come against us. It does. But we experience the fullness of what he has for us. Well, Father, we thank you that in all things we trust you. Your word doesn't ever change. It's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And Father, we're, we've allowed ourselves to become lax. That we haven't demonstrated the determination. We choose to get back in shape. To follow you, to make the difficult decisions so that through our lives you might be exalted and you might be glorified. Thank you, Father, that in all things we can put our trust and confidence in you and you'll never let us down. And so we thank you and give you praise. In the wonderful name of Jesus. And everybody that agrees says, Amen. Hallelujah. Well, as you go, go in his peace, his strength, his love. Go in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. In the magnificent name of Jesus. And you have a blessed week, and we will see you next Sunday. Hallelujah. Be blessed.